You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. In Revelation chapter number two in your Bibles tonight, Revelation chapter two, who needs a fill-in-the-blank sheet if you'd slip your hand up? Our ushers are eagle-eyed watching to see. Anybody fill in the blank sheet? Upstairs, downstairs. Pen. Anyone need a pen? Okay. All right. I think we're all set, brother. Thank you. Revelation chapter 2 in your Bibles tonight. We're gearing down our year and getting ready for uh, January. And, of course, we're going to enjoy this month a lot. I'm looking forward to our Christmas Day service, our New Year's Day service. And then starting the the year off with Vision Sunday on January 8th, giving you our theme on the 8th and letting you know what that's all about, and uh, getting into some series starting in the new year, which will be great. All right, Revelation chapter 2, I want to preach tonight and uh, and teach out of these two chapters here of the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, and uh, I want to speak on, and this is a rhyming sermon, okay, here you go, eight traits of a great church. All right, eight traits of a great church. Now, we're going to look at several scriptures here. Now, if you are familiar with the passage in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, here's John, of course, John the Apostle, who wrote the book of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he wrote the book of Revelation. And uh, this is, uh, of course, uh, being revealed to him, this book by God, the Revelation there. And we see here... Uh, at the chapter 2, verse 1, for instance, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus. Now, it's talking about sending, a, uh, there, there's a message coming through from the Lord to the leaders of these churches. And there's seven churches mentioned. Now, there may be some confusion here as to what these churches are or were. And uh, I want to give you some insight about that. But before we do that, I'd like to just pray and then jump right in and give you an explanation and get right into the message tonight. Father, I do pray that you'd help me this evening. I pray that my mind would be clear and focused. And Lord, you'd help the message to be um, uh, understood and then uh, also applied after we hear the thoughts tonight. May you use it. God, we need your help. We, we invite you, of course, into your house to speak with us and meet with us this evening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So these, these seven churches that we're going to look at here, uh, let, let me tell you how it works, because if you know anything about this book, it's a very prophetical book, right? The book of Revelation talks a lot about prophecy, and it can be confusing. And so some people really get confused as to, were these real churches? Were they not real churches? Is it all symbolic? Is it all allegorical? What, what is talking about here, okay? So th- these verses that we're going to look at, are talking about seven local churches at the time. But it can be applied in four ways. First of all, the passages that we're looking at are to be applied locally at the time. Now, this is not on your sheet. You can write it down if you want to, but locally at the time. So what Jesus is going to say, the, the, the kind of audit that he's going to give these churches in a moment, was locally to those churches at that time. And that's who it was meant for. It also, secondly, though, applies globally to th- throughout time. It applies globally throughout time. So every church uh, can be seen here and can learn from these passages of Scripture. 
So at first, the first uh, context of it was a local context. He was talking to these seven churches. But it also applies globally to every church. What we're going to see here tonight applies to our church. And we need to make sure that our church is following what is said in these passages and, and being careful about what these passages warn about. It also applies personally to everyone. It applies personally. As you read these verses and you see Jesus saying, hey, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent. That, that applies to you. That applies to me. When he, when he says hold fast, when he says be faithful, those things apply to us too. So personally, but then there is also prophetically. Prophetically, it applies to church phases. Now here is something that I will just tell you uh, uh, by way of introduction. I don't think we can be especially dogmatic about but what a lot of people believe is that as these seven, these seven churches in here represent seven phases of the church since really after the time of Christ, seven phases of the church. So you'll see some that, uh, you know, you could equate to the times of great persecution that Christians have went through, the Inquisition and, and different times. So where we get now to the Laodicean church age is what a lot of people say, where the, the characteristic of the church is lukewarm, not hot, not cold, but kind of lukewarm. And so that, I think it, you could apply that to the spiritual history of the church, but uh, the, the more uh, a broad application and context would be to these local churches and to us globally as churches to learn from these. Now, if all of that was confusing, I apologize. I tried to make that clear. So uh, if you have questions, just text me. All right. But uh, let's jump into some verses here about this. Okay. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, or, you know, angel is the word messenger, of the church of Ephesus, write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent." But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, Nicolaitans, what is that? We don't know. That's what it means. We, we don't know. It was a certain sect or, or teaching of people at the time that obviously God was not for. He says he hates that, okay? So, but as far as history is concerned, there's no real mention of who those people are. Now, we're going to look at these seven different churches, but uh, I want to just kind of tell you what's going to happen here and where we're going with this. I read a story about a preacher, a pastor, who was trying to catch a flight. He had an early flight he was trying to catch, and he was going through security and the TSA lines, which, you know, is always fun. Everybody loves the TSA and, and you know, just the most loved people on the planet. And uh, they, so the, the preacher put his suitcase on the bin to go through security. And uh, he was walking through, and he walked through the machine, and, and he had no problems going through the machine, but then he noticed that the, the bag stopped right in the middle where they're looking at it. And uh, all of a sudden, like, it, it turned very serious. 
And he thought, man, did I like leave an iPod in there with like some cords attached to it? You know, like what, or my iPhone, whatever. You know, what was it? So they shut the lines down. They shut the lines down, no one in, no one out, and he got surrounded by eight TSA agents and two police officers. He's like, man, what's going on here? They said, is this your bag? And he said, yes, it is. And they pulled out from his bag a hand grenade. And this pastor had brought a visual to a preaching meeting he was going to, or he was bringing it to a preaching meeting, and, uh, and totally forgot that he had packed uh, you know, not a real grenade, but a real one without explosives in it, in his bag. And uh, how do you explain that, you know, to the, to the, uh, to the TSA agents there? But, uh, you know, you think about it now, like some of us have been yelled at because we had four ounces of shampoo when you're supposed to have 3.5, you know. And, uh, but this guy was getting yelled at because he had a hand grenade. In the, in the verses we're looking at, Jesus isn't yelling at people, but, but he's correcting he is, he's kind of, he's giving commendations to some churches, he's giving corrections to others. And I think from time to time, every corporation, every company, and uh, certainly every, every unit, every church ought to go through an auditing process, a review, an analysis. And I try to do this so often with our church to go through and say, hey, how do we do this year? You know, uh, how was our outreach? How was our inreach? How did these things work out? And a checkup is necessary. Many of you go to the doctor, right, for a, a checkup every now and again, or we should and just go for emergencies or things like that. But Jesus is giving these churches a spiritual audit, and he's saying, here's what you're doing well, here's what's not doing well, correct this. And I think that's important, and by the way, Paul did that in his letters. Certainly when Paul wrote to 1st 2nd Corinthians, he was writing to say, hey, I will correct these things. Remember the Lord's Supper we read every month, and the rest will I set in order when I come? He was saying, I'm setting a bunch in order and already in this letter, I'm correcting all this and you know what, I'm going to do the rest when I get there. There's a lot to correct in the Corinthian church, right? So this is a good thing, but I want us to look at some of the characteristics here of a church that make it great and, uh, and, and just kind of evaluate how we're doing at Gethsemane Baptist Church as we're ending a year and getting ready to start a new one. Number one, eight traits of a great church. The first trait I want to give to you tonight is godly appetites. Godly appetites. Look at chapter 3. We're going to skip back and forth between these passages, but Revelation chapter 3 talks about the Laodicean church, the church at Laodicea, the city of Laodicea. And certainly when we look at this church here, it could be applied to the churches of nowadays and the spirit within churches. But chapter 3 verse 14 it says, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, thou art, that thou art neither hot, cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. I, I, would, I would rather you be cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So, you, you know, you're saying you have it all. You're saying you have all that you need, but, but you don't even realize your own spiritual condition. And we're, uh, 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 one of the folks here tonight and I were talking before the service about, about the Catholic Church and how, and how oftentimes they, they can be blinded to their own spiritual nature of, what, of where they're really at and what they really need. And, and this church here, you know, he's, Jesus is saying, you're neither warm, 
you're neither cold nor hot. I don't know about you, but when it's when I've gotten done doing some work outside, I don't want lukewarm water. You know, it, it seems like there's rarely a case for that. Now, I do like lukewarm water on the platform. It helps my throat. But otherwise, no, you, you want something cold. You want your coffee just room temperature. No, oftentimes you want it hot or you want it iced, right? So it, it, something about that middle space there, God says, look, I'd rather you be on fire for me or just be out of it completely. But your lukewarmness, where you've settled in, and you think that you're good, you think you have all that you need, makes me sick. And so as a church, though, what is this saying? They, they were indifferent. They were right in the middle. They weren't on fire. They weren't freezing. And they had no appetite for growth. They had no desire to get closer to God. And so a godly appetite is a great trait of a church. First Peter 2, 2 says, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So God wants us to desire the word. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I know that I'm usually the one doing the preaching, but I remember very much so going to college and, and going to church where I had to come and sit and listen to preaching. And it wasn't every week that I was just like, yes, I need the word. Yes, I have to have, absolutely, I'm tuned into everything. But there ought to be in every church, all of us, a desire to grow. A, de a desire to be more like Christ. There ought to be a spiritual appetite. Now, it's telling you here to desire the word. It's not a description. It's saying, as newborn babes, you should desire the sincere milk of the word. Desire spiritual things. You know, we, we give in to the flesh so much. We really do. And, and for some people, we think that, that uh, all we think about is how we can please ourselves. And, and the things of this world have their hooks in people. But a godly church, and I think we need to think about this, a godly church desires godly things. A godly church wants godliness. That, that means when you see the church calendar and you see the couples conference or you see the, the, the revival or you see on there the missions month or, the, or things, it ought, to, it ought to be a desire. Yes, I want those things. When we see opportunities to serve, we've got, we've got 18 teams now in our church and there's opportunities to serve. It ought not to be, oh, there's more. No, it ought to be a spiritual desire. There, there should be, we should want godly things. I remember years ago, one of our kids was telling me years ago, Dad, I want to eat healthy. I want to go on a diet. And I'm like, you know, you're six. I don't think that, you know, I don't, five or six years old, I don't know that you need to go on a diet right now. And he was, at that time, eating a cookie and said, cookies are so healthy for your body. I was like, well, I'll go on your diet. That's a great diet, you know. And the cookies are so healthy. I, was, I don't know about that, you know. But he had an appetite for that. But, you know, we have to have an appetite for the things of God, for the milk of the word, the simple things, but for the meat of the word, too. Look, can, can we please not be so, uh, not, not be the typical Christian nowadays or typical church, and even typical Baptist church, where we're only shallow and we're only talking about surface things. We can get deep in the word. We ought to be getting deep in the word. And, and learning, really pulling out what God wants us to know. So the first trait here is spirit, or is godly appetites. The thing about appetites is this. The more you feed them, the more they grow. The more that you feed an appetite, the more it grows. The more you read the Bible, the more you want the Bible. Some of you can't tell me that black coffee was just good to you automatically. I don't believe it. I don't believe that anyone's ever like, let me try this, this dark liquid sludge. Oh, that's delicious. No, you probably worked up to it. 
You got an appetite, right? And uh, it's, may, maybe you're different. Maybe you're, you love bitter things. I don't know, but you can go lick the sidewalk afterwards. But, that's, but, uh, but to me, it, it seems like you have to work up to liking that, right? You develop that appetite. And now coffee for you is a lifestyle. It's a, it's a way of being. And I'm not against it. I'm just saying that uh, godly appetite is it, it, something you build and learn. I've talked before about spiritual desires like godly music serving, uh, you know, even reading your Bible and praying. I don't like to do that. Yeah, that's because you got a flesh. What I'm saying, though, is the more you do it, the more you will like it. And the more you like it, the more you will want to do it. No one needs to tell me to read my Bible anymore. You know why? I like it. I enjoy it. Why? Because I've been doing it for so long that I've developed an appetite for it. And if I ever miss a time where I'm not in it or something, I'm like, I, I got to get it in. I got to get my Bible. It's like, you know, you, you start shaking when you don't get your coffee. I, I got to have my Bible, right? Pastor, stop picking on the coffee drinkers. I'm not, okay? Godly appetites. But secondly, godly actions. Godly actions is a trait of a great church. One thing that is common about all seven churches is this. God said about every, every church listed here, he said the same thing in one area. You know what it is? I know thy works. Every church, he said, I know your works. I'm watching what you're doing. Every church, he said that too. I know your works. And uh, look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 19, as he talks to the church at Thyatira. It says in verse 18, And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works. Wait a second. Didn't he already say that? He said, I know thy works, verse 19. And at the end, and thy patience, and thy works. Why does he listen to works twice? Then he says there at the end, and the last to be more than the first. So, yeah, you ever go listing something here, problems, you know, and our society's got this problem, and this problem, and this problem, and you start repeating, you know. And, but God, he didn't do this by accident. What he was saying is, I know thy works, and thy patience, and thy love, and thy kindness, and I also know the, the works that you did later on there. He says, that, that the, and the last to be more than the first. What he's saying is, you have grown, and now you're doing greater works than when you started. So, so you started this way, but now you're doing even more works than before. And so uh, what does that show? That shows growth. It shows that that church was active and doing something. And if you want to fill this under a sheet there, putting into practice the truths that you've learned from the Bible. That's what we're talking about. Well, that's not a proper sentence there, but that's what, is, what we're saying here, is putting into practice the truths that you've learned from the Bible. And that's, that's a trait of a great church. Uh, you know, it's one thing to, to stand up and preach a bunch of different uh, uh, personal opinions you have or to preach a, pr a bunch of different preference preferences that I may have. You know, I don't, I don't like yellow shirts. Well, look at Jeff, you know, how dare you? you know, it's one thing to, to preach preferences or whatever, but, but that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about preaching the Word, and then when you receive the Bible and the truths that you learn from the Bible, you do them. Now, and look, I give you full authority, okay? Here it is. Full authority that if I have a preference that I preach, if it's not biblical or if it's not something that's in the Word or you can even see a principle for, you don't have to obey it, all right? 
You know what? You can eat sour cream if you want. I've preached about sour cream, all right? You, you can do that. There's Christian liberty, okay? But if I'm standing up and I'm saying, thus saith the Lord, and it's right here, look at this, then we ought to do it. Because we're going to be blessed if we do. Putting into practice. What do we know? What are things that we know we ought to do? That, that are already, the, it's a Bible says. What about things like be ye kind? Are we putting that into action? What about things like in honor, preferring one another? Or did you walk in front of somebody today and close the door behind you? In honor, preferring one another. How about go ye out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in? How about go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? How about when, when he says in Matthew 7, and when ye pray, or when ye fast, or when ye give, and, and things like that. See, we know these things. And by the way, I'm not talking here about godly knowledge. Talking about godly action. A, good, a, a godly church has godly actions. You know how to read your Bible, but do you read your Bible? You know how to pray, but do you pray? You may know how to witness and lead a soul to Christ. But are you doing that? Are you, are you faithfully witnessing? So putting into practice things. I was in college traveling back from Napa. I interned uh, at my father-in-law's church. My, he wasn't my father-in-law yet, but he was a pastor at the time. And I interned there. And so I'd get off work late and drive up there and work all weekend and then drive back Sunday night after church and get up and go to college and do the whole thing over again. It was crazy life at the time. I remember coming back from Napa one time and I was looking at my Jeep. I had a Jeep Cherokee, you read stick shift Jeep Cherokee in California. You know, who needs a stick shift out here? But, but I had one and uh, driving back and I look and my oil light came on. And I was like, what? And I, look at my, um, I looked at my temperature gauge and I was in the red. Actually, I don't even think I had the oil light on. I think it was just in the red. And I, and I started seeing a little smoke coming out of the engine. I'm going 70 miles an hour. I'm like, oh, no. My first thought, my first thought is my dad's going to kill me. Because I grew up, my mom's dad was a mechanic. My brother went to mechanic school for a while. My mom knows about cars. My dad knows about cars. I know a little bit. I can do my own brakes. I can change my oil. I can do things like that. I did my own starter and other things. But I saw, that, uh, I saw that smoke, and I was like, my dad's going to be so mad at me. And I pulled off the road, and I looked, and man, I hadn't replaced the oil. I don't know if there was a leak or what. I just let it go. And I knew what to do. I knew what I was supposed to do. I didn't do it. I almost caused a wreck. almost caused that engine to blow. You know, that wouldn't have been a good thing. It's one thing to know what to do, but we got to do it. And that's what separates us. If we know our city needs Christ, there are a lot of churches in Long Beach that are waiting for the lost to come to them. But Jesus says, go to them. Go to them. The Samaritan went and found the guy. He was on his road and went down and found the guy in the ditch. And I think it's time that we, we do some things that we know we're supposed to do. i got to move quickly here. Godly appetites, godly actions. Number three, I'm going to say godly attendance. Godly attendance. Look at chapter 2, if you would, verse 9. I'll move quickly through these. Godly attendance, Revelation 2, 9 and 10. This is to the angel of the church in Smyrna. It says there in verse 8, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. You've been through some trials and some poverty, but thou art rich spiritually. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, 
and I will give thee a crown of life. Verse 12, he's talking to the church of Pergamos, and he says, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name. What are we talking about here? What's the message? He said, look, you're, you're doing right. Just keep doing it. The message is this. Be faithful. Be faithful. Attend to the things that you need to attend to and be faithful. That's the blank there. Faithful. All right? Give a godly attendance. Be where you're supposed to be. Do what you're supposed to do. A church is a great church. And, 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 and look, I... Every pastor I know has the same condition. And the condition is this. You come in on Sunday morning and you're like, wow, what a great crowd. Where's so-and-so? Where's, man, I called them yesterday. And, and, and it's like this perpetual like discontentment. And, and, and I think a lot of it is, hey, I think the Bible could help people. I think they ought to be here to hear the word of God. They need the fellowship or whatever. But, but uh, we really try to, uh, 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 you know, taper that. But attendance is important. I cannot tell you. You've heard this said. But it is so true that someone will say, Pastor, I'm struggling with this. And in my mind, I'm like, and I'll say, okay, let, you know, let's talk about that. And then I'm thinking in my brain, I literally preached an entire message on that last Sunday morning. And so sometimes I've said, hey, go back and hear the message. I'm not mad at them. I get it. Things come up. Of course, I, I understand that. But attendance is important. God, God does not require a lot of us. He doesn't say, hey, make sure the sun comes up tomorrow. You know, he, he doesn't say, make sure everybody in your neighborhood does right today. No, but he says to you and me, be faithful. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found Faithful. You're a steward. I'm a steward. Let's be faithful. He doesn't expect you to, to uh, hold, hold you responsible for other people's actions, but he looks at your faithfulness. And not just faithfulness to church. I think it's faithfulness in our areas. Faithfulness to your spouse. Faithfulness to your kids. Faithfulness to, to give as you're supposed to. Faithfulness to read your Bible, to pray. This the consistent faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Hey, let's be faithful. Great, a, a, a godly attendance. Number four, godly affections. Godly affections. Chapter two, he's talking to the church of uh, Ephesus here in verse four. And here's what he says about them in, in chapter two, verse four. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. So he said a lot of good stuff, but he said, but there's one thing I need to correct in you. Because thou hast left thy first love. So remember, for, where from, from, therefore, from which thou art fallen, repent, do the first works. So we have this church that, it, that he says, you've left your first love. You've left your original love for Christ. You've, you've left that original passion for God, that, that original love that was, you know, was so pure when it was first formed. And when you first you know, created, started the church, there was just this genuine love for God and each other. And you've gotten away from that. You're doing good works, but you've gotten away from the love. So that was that church. Look at chapter 3, verse 19. I'm sorry, not chapter 3. Go, if you would look at uh, 2.19. I'm sorry, 2.19. And here's Thyatira, the church there. And to this church, he says, I know thy works and charity. The word charity is the word love. So with one church, he says, hey, you've left your first love. And in this church, he says, hey, I see your love. So there was a church that had left love. There was a church that, that was loving. And I think it's important for a church to love the right 
things and hate the right things. Well, Pastor, we shouldn't hate anything. We should hate sin. We should hate sin. You cannot truly love without hating something. It's just how it works. Preferring one another in love. Now, when it comes to dealing with people, yes, let's love people. All right, let's care for people. Absolutely, everybody. Preferring one another in love, the Bible says. That means we're not seeking to hurt uh, anybody else. We're not seeking to use somebody else for our own pleasure. No, we're, we're loving one another. If you did not know this, let me fill you in. God is big on love. God, the Bible says God is love. Twice in 1 John chapter 4 it says that. If you love me, keep my commandments. And, and the commandment that he gives over and over and over again that he gives in John and 1 John is love one another. So many times, love one another. And this commandment I say to you, love one another. A greater love hath no man than this than a man laid down his life for his friends. And over and over again, God is saying love. He, he, he loves love so much that he summed up the entire law in two acts of love. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Love is the thing that God is looking for. I love our church fellowships. I love getting to know our people. I love when we get together and get to spend time. I love the last Tuesday, getting to walk around a fellowship with one another. That's what it's supposed to be. It, we're supposed to carry that love with us. Loving people here at church, not arguing with people at church. Loving one another, loving our neighbor. Well, pastor, I got loud, annoying neighbors. Hey, join the crowd. Or maybe you are a loud, annoying neighbor. Who knows? But we're supposed to love one another. There's a lot of unlovely people in our world, but if a Christian's not going to love them, who's going to love them? Let's love people. By the way, I think that having godly affections means loving what God loves, hating what God hates. And we'll talk about that in the next point here. Godly anger, number five. Pastor, there's no such thing. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. Godly anger. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. Back to the church of Ephesus, God was speaking here. He says, but thou, but this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Jesus was saying, you did good because you hated what the Nicolaitans were doing, and I hated it too. So in some way, they were using the people or abusing the people. They were using their religion or their teaching to hurt others, much like the Pharisees did, the Sadducees and other people of that day who had corrupted the entire Jewish system. And so he's saying, whatever they were doing, I hate it. And you know what? That, I, that Christ was honoring about that church, he said that you hate it too. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to line up with God on the issues. When we're voting, you know, we look up, who do we line up with, with these issues and these issues or whatever. It's a good thing to line up with God on what he hates and what he loves. You see that he loves people. Say that he, you see that he hates sin, though. And we need to realize that. So godly anger means we're not tolerating sin, not tolerating it spread in the church. We're, we're, we're trying to be pure. We're trying to be holy. I'm not saying tonight that you ought to pick apart somebody else's life, but I'm referring to a hatred for sin in your own life. There should be a hatred for sin in your own life and a hatred for the sin that ruins other people's lives and a desire to see other people live for God. There ought to be that in our lives. You know, we can, all, we can all tell stories of unrighteous anger. We all tell stories of ungodly anger that we've had. You know, I remember years ago when my wife was out of town, um, I took uh, two of our kids, our two oldest, I'll just say that, to, uh, is it okay if I tell this story? All right, good. And um, I took them, <laughs> they don't even know what the story is. I took, them, I, I took them to IHOP. My wife was out of town uh, somewhere. 
And I just remember like that whole day, I was trying to be super dad. You know, I was trying to be Bandit from Bluey. Have anybody ever said Bluey, the show Bluey, or the little kids show? Some of you that have little kids or grandkids, you know what I'm talking about. That dad is like the best dad to ever live. And, uh, you know, so we're trying to be, I was trying to be super dad that day. And, and I remember spilling soda on the way out of the door to the park. And, and I was trying to pour water for another kid and the cup fell over. I go to the park and I remember I was standing under, under a tree trying to play kickball and sap from the tree came and just landed all in my hair. And then I, I kicked the ball real hard. It went over the fence into some neighbor's yard. You know, it was just one thing after another. I remember going, I remember going to IHOP with my kids, and, and uh, it took so long. You, know, you go to IHOP, and you expect it'll be fast. It's usually two hours for you to even see a waiter sometimes. And I remember going in there and sitting down, and one kid is just, I want to eat. You know, like a little, they were little at the time. I want to eat and pound on the table. The other kid is taking the creamers and just chugging them like this as fast as they could. I was going nuts. Oh, my soul. I tell you, sitting there seething, you know, with my red face, that was not righteous indignation. That was when dad needed some patience, okay? But uh, we know the examples of unrighteous anger. But when is the last time we got angry about sin? When's the last time you saw something on TV and you thought, it just makes me so angry? I was in court uh, this week. Well, I wasn't on trial. I was... uh, Thank you for praying for me for jury duty, but your prayers did not work. I'm worried about our church because I did have jury duty. But uh, I got back at 3 a.m. on Monday from traveling from Napa, brought all the suitcases in, took a shower, got in bed 3.30, 3.40, woke up at 6.40, three hours, and uh, went downtown Long Beach. I had, I had jury duty. After a couple hours, they called me in. They told me the case that I was going to be facing, the case that I was going to be trying if they called me. And, uh, and, you know, they explained to you, you walk in, it's very somber, very serious. The judge was there, and, uh, you know, the two attorneys, you got the, got the bailiff, you know, the, uh, the officer there and everything. And so we're going to tell you about the case, and then we're going to question you. And it was a horrible case. The guy, I, don't, I, don't, I probably shouldn't say, actually, publicly, because it's, it's uh, you know, on, online and all that. But it was a really terrible case, and um, just, just horrifying uh, circumstances. And uh, they, they did not choose me. They said, and what, you know, sir, if you could tell your jury number and what you do. And uh, I was thinking, you know, like, uh, at first I was like, I got to do everything to get out of this, right? But then at, after I heard the charges, I was like, well, I think I may want to stick around and uh, send somebody to prison or not, you know, whatever. But, uh, but I remember sitting there and they said, what do you, I said, I'm the senior pastor at Gethsemane Baptist Church. And they're like, we're going to talk about it. They came over, yeah, we're going to excuse you. We don't want you out there. But just hearing that, hearing this crime that took place, allegedly, I guess if I have to be technically, but uh, technical about it, but it was, you know, there was a crime, but whoever did it, just made me mad. It was a terrible crime. It's something you'd see on TV, I mean, on a, on a, on a cop show, it was horrible. And, 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 you know, you see that, when's the last time, though, that you looked in the mirror and the sin that you saw there made you angry? Angry enough to change it. You know, there's a thing that, that people say, you'll never change something until you're sick of it. When's the last time we got sick of our sin, sick of our flesh, sick of giving in to the devil, sick of over and over again making the same mistakes? We need to get sick of it. We need to get sick of it and get angry about, about the sin and what it's doing in our lives. Get mad at the devil. Uh, you know, get mad at what's happening to people and how he's ruining lives 
hating sin and loving righteousness. That's what the Bible says that Jesus did. He hated sin and loved righteousness. Godly anger. Number six, we'll move quicker. Godly authority. I see that as a trait of a great church. Godly authority. In chapter 2, verse 2, talking to the church of Ephesus, he talked in, at the last part of verse 2, it says, And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. In verse 9, he's talking to another church, he talks about, And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. In verse 14, he talks about there's people in that church that had the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. In verse 20, it talks about they, that, that they suffered that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess, or, or, or the teaching of Jezebel. And so there was all, already in the early church, already there was false doctrine creeping in. It didn't take the devil long at all after the church had just started to try to get false doctrine in and, and false prophets. But I think it's important that we all are under godly authority, the authority of God, but also under the tutelage and, and, and uh, leadership of men and women of God. And that applies to me too. I ought to be, and I'm trying, I listen to pastors uh, often. I counsel with pastors because I want to be under authority. They're not my authority in this church. I understand that God's my authority, but, but I, I want to be under godly authority. And, and we ought to make sure that, we're, that who we're listening to, what we're listening to, it's a godly authority. Godly authority is something important. You know, and, and by the way, let's not make idols out of, out of public figures. Let's not make idols out of a sports star or out of some Hollywood star. Let's not make idols out of preachers or, or Sunday school. Let's not make idols. You know, you know none of that. I think it's, it's, it's one thing to give honor to whom honor is due, but it's another thing to worship at the feet of, of, a, of a certain preacher or teacher. Let's not do that. That's how people get in trouble. And I look at my life and I look at people that I know that have stayed true to God and I'm thankful for them. You know, I've heard in my life many times people that I know that, that have, have, have had a great fall or something has happened to them and, and have given in or given up, and I'm thankful to God for the people that have just stuck with it. Thankful to, to God for the people in our church who have stuck with it. Let's have godly anger for, the, for sin, godly authority. Make sure we're under authority. That's where God wants us to be. Number seven is godly attitudes. I see a godly attitude is important. In chapter 2, verse 2, again, it talks about, God said, I know thy works, I know thy labor, thy patience, how thou canst not bear them that are evil. Verse 3, and hast borne and hast patience. All of those words and labor mean basically the same thing, endurance. Again and again and again, he said, you've endured, you've endured, you did not endure uh, the, the, the evil people, but you've endured and you've endured and you've endured. And then he talks about it again later on to other churches that have, have stayed with it through tribulation. And, uh, and, and they had endured, and I'm thankful for those in church that, that stay with it and stay with it with a good attitude, with a good attitude. Uh, the Bible talks about a merry heart is good like a medicine. It's important to have the right attitude, not to live under the circumstances, but rising above that. And like Daniel had an excellent spirit. I was says a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. We ought to have that spirit within us that, that things may be cast down, but, but we're not letting it get to our spirit. We're going to keep hope. We're going to keep faith. We're going to keep trusting in God and not let those things weigh on us. The Bible says do all things without murmurings and disputings. That even means going through trials. Doing all things without murmurings and disputings. James chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Can they not hence even of your own lust that war in your members? 
on your sheet there, there should be no family squabbles in church. We are a family. Years ago, many years, probably 10 years ago, 12 years ago, we had a young boy come to our church. His name was Carlos. And uh, he lived over where by the Kubitschek's lived in that area, if you know where that is, and um, went and visited him. He came to church one time, I think, or two, two Sundays, and then he came to a teen activity we had. And uh, was dropped off and picked up, a sketchy, you know, situation. And I went and visited him, and, you know, his, his mom had just gotten out of, like, Narcotics Anonymous. His dad, kind of a similar situation. It was really bad. This was a young kid, right, 13 or 14. I remember he came to our teen activity. And he looked just so, he, he looked so sincere, so, so simple. Like, you know, like, just, he, he was just, he was wanting someone to care for him. And he came to our church, and his eyes were big the whole time. And he just, he loved it. I mean, he loved it. He cried coming to church. I remember a leading, he got saved, led to the Lord, and just in tears, in tears trusted Christ as Savior. He came to a teen activity. That, I think he got saved at the teen activity, and it was just, you know, he loved it. He was like, I just can't wait to come back. And just was a young man just not getting care and love from anybody. And just, he loved it so much. And I remember going back and visiting, and they had given him up to adoption, uh, foster care. Got shipped to L.A. somewhere. The parents were being investigated for stuff. I've never seen that boy again. And he's probably 24 years old at the time right now. And I just think, you know, I'll see him in heaven, though, thankfully. <laughs> Reunite there. But I have thought about that kid so many times. He was so thankful to come to church. We've had teenagers come to our church, and, and my wife has talked to some. Uh, there was a young girl that came, and she came from a different country, and she sat down, and my wife went and bought her a Bible and came up and gave it to her, and she began to cry. She'd never had a Bible, never even knew she could own a Bible. You're so thankful. I think sometimes you know, we get so used to just having a good church, having copies of the Word of God, that we lose the spirit of gratitude. We lose the spirit of of awe that we get to have what we have, I think we got to maintain a great attitude about it. I think we need to maintain a spirit of gratitude and thankfulness to God. I think we need to maintain a spirit of humility and remembering that there are people out there like Carlos that want church, want people to love them, want people to witness to them, are craving it and ready to receive it. And we need to remember that as we go out and talk to people. And so that way, when we run into people that say, get off my lawn or, or close the door, we remember, no, but maybe there's a Carlos next door. Maybe the next door after that, there's another one. And just to have that spirit about us, that's so important. Lastly tonight, godly ambitions. I think a great church has godly ambitions. I won't read you all the verses there. We read them already about trying apostles in Ephesians and some other church, in, in, the, in the church of Ephesus. God said, you know, you, you've tried them to see if they were really who they say they are, and, and you found out that, hey, what they preach is not accurate, what, they do, what they're doing is not accurate. There's other doctrines that are preached here. What was that church that Ephesus trying to do? And I, I think this is a good thing, is that they were wanting truth, and they were wanting purity of doctrine. And, and that's important. They, they wanted truth and purity of doctrine. Why? Because they, they were aspiring and, and had the ambition to do what God wanted them to do. Our, our ambition should not be to be comfortable. Our ambition should not be to be rich. Our ambition should not be just to have happiness. Our ambition should be to be more like Christ. That's the blank. And to know him, to make a difference for him. 
Can I ask you tonight, what spiritual ambitions do you have? What dreams? Do you have spiritual ambition for your Sunday school class? For the ministry you're involved in? For your family? For your walk with God? The Bible says, be holy for I'm holy. Remember when I was a kid, growing up, I loved Marvel Comics. And a Wolverine, I don't know if you know comic books, Wolverine was my favorite character of all time. Loved him, I'm not saying it's great or I'm not putting my stamp of approval on it, I'm just saying that's what I liked as a kid. I remember trying to, like we didn't have like great costumes back then. I remember I was living in Germany and so, uh, you know, we didn't have, we even had less. There was even a Walmart there, you know. And uh, I remember getting like, trying to dress up, you know, he's this weird hair and, and all this kind of stuff, trying to get a mask and I remember getting like these mittens and putting them on my hand and taking, went downstairs, you know, I was like 10. I was like, gotta find something to make claws because he has three claws like this and stuff. I found these metal skewers or, or these uh, wooden skewers or whatever and I put them through the gloves, you know. My mom's probably gonna kill me, you know. And I, so I was walking around, ah, you know, scratching things and everything because I was, I, I just, I, I wanted to be Wolverine. You know, I, I could say I'm 38 now and I still kind of want to be like Wolverine. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, as you grow in your faith, you should be wanting to be more and more like Jesus. You know, I'm here, I'm, I'm dressing like Wolverine, I'm acting like Wolverine. My mannerisms and my snarl, I'm saying, hey, bub, and stuff like he would always say. And my speech was like Wolverine. Now I want to be like Christ. My speech should be like what Christ said. My attitude should be like what Christ said. Well, it, it, that, that's how we're supposed to be. My ambition, our ambition should be to be more like Jesus Christ. Now these are eight great traits that we see from the churches here mentioned in Revelation. And I wonder tonight, hey, how, how are we doing as a church? Yes, but, but the way that we can tell how we're doing as a church is to, to ask ourselves, how am I doing personally? How am I doing personally with these? Is there something here tonight? And maybe it's just one thing that God is working on you saying, hey, that was for you. That was for you. And the last blank there, I ask this as well, is God in the process of correcting you? Jesus was correcting these churches. Is Jesus, is he bringing things enough to correct you? Well, then allow that to take place. Correct what needs to be corrected. Let him do that so he can use you.